Hello and a very warm welcome to the Grand Slam Tennis Online Podcast. For this very first pod, we have an exclusive interview with 19-time Grand Slam champion Fred Stolley. 53 years ago, Fred won the US Championships. It was his second Slam singles title. He'd won the French in 1965 after defeat in five Slam finals. Diana Ross and the Supremes' You Can't Hurry Love was number one in the US charts when Fred lifted his trophy. As with love, so with Slam success. We talked the US Open, 1966 and 2019, plus Barty, Federer, Medvedev and Nick Kyrgios. Thank you, Fred, for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Um, so I wanted to ask you first... Uh, for the latest on Nick Kyrgios. As we speak, it's five o'clock British time at the moment on Friday. He's been fined £113,000. Um, and the sanction, as Bill Scott wrote in Grand Slam Tennis, included individual fines for ball abuse, leaving the court, audible obscenity and unsportsmanlike conduct. And then he also spat in the direction of an official as he left court and called Fergus Murphy, the umpire, an effing yeah. tool. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. What, what do you make? What do you make for this? Well, I've read the article. Well, obviously, he's the best talent we've had in Australia for a long time. Mm. However, he has to uh, really go by the rules, and um, I, I believe that uh, he doesn't. And I think the only way to do it is is a suspension, but not for a month, for a, for a long term suspension, and then uh, because he is a talent, there's no doubt about that. And you never know with Nick because you thought we thought he was coming back when he played Washington. He played mm. some great tennis there. I watched it. I'm not doing any any commentary anymore, but obviously I'm keeping up with it, watching it on TV. And then the next week he goes out and he will lose the first round. And he because then he had to play. I think he had to play Medvedev the next round if he'd have won the first round. So I don't think he wanted that to happen. It was too much like hard work. So then, and then this latest showdown is just crazy because Kratchenov is a pretty darn good player. And, uh, and you know, he, he's a talent in his own right. And I read his article where he said it's very difficult to play Nick. you just got to keep your mind on the job and try and battle through it and not worry about him. Well, you know, I've, I've been through with that in a, in a slightly different way when I played Bob Hewitt in, in the early days, long, long time ago, and... And I was Bob's doubles partner and very good friend. But when I played against him, he used to abuse me and call me all the sort of names. And if I hit a winner, then it was always uh, lucky this and lucky that, and he'd swear and curse. And I felt then intimidated. And I was, uh, you know, in those days, but I wasn't temperamental. But I could just, that just got to me a little bit until you, know, you sit down with your friends and say, well, you've got to try and ignore that. And once you ignore it and you get over it, you're fine. But Nick's a different kettle of fish because he just goes off the deep end and he loses whatever control he has. Off the court, he's terrific. He's terrific in uh, when he does corporate outings, when he does clinics, when he does stuff with the ladies and particularly with the kids. He's great. And, uh, you know, my problem is that he, he tweets too much, I think, you know, at, at this stage. And he tweets with kids that are, you know, 15, 16, 18 and... By the time he gets out of the shower, he comes back, there's 30 or 40 tweets, and they just say, yeah, go for it, Nick, you know, give it to him, give it to him, and, and he thinks that's the real world. Well, 
He is an entertainer. People are going to pay and go and watch him play, but he needs to be suspended for quite a long time, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that was what I was about to ask you next, really, because, yeah, the ACP, along with this announcement of the fine, were saying they're considering a suspension. So you think that'd be the right move? Does that... Do you kind of fall on the side then that tennis needs to see Nick Kyrgios as kind of a legitimate threat to the image of the sport? Or do we need to start being more willing to embrace him as tennis fans? Well, I think a lot of tennis fans do embrace him. Mm. And I, quite frankly, if you go back, it's a, it's a whole different ball game now. But if you go back when the language, you weren't allowed to use language when we played. If you use language, well, but that's the norm in anything now. That is the norm in, in a figure of speech when you're talking to people, particularly with young people today. It's just they don't have any respect for the law and order. They don't have respect for basically teachers. So they don't have any respect for other tennis players. They play against them and they and their, their language is cursing and swearing. And, uh, you know, that was not accepted. And he would not have played Davis Cup for Harry Hopman. But there's a lot of guys, John, John McEnroe, for instance, if, if John McEnroe had been brought up in Australia, he wouldn't have played for Hopman because Mr. Hopman would have kicked him off the team. However, when Mr. Hopman came over here, things had changed and he voted for McEnroe when McEnroe was fine to get out to go under suspension. He voted for McEnroe to play stay on the tour. So Nick Kyrgios is entertainment. I love watching him play and he's talented, but he's got to, get to, the, he's got to play within the rules of the game and realise... It is a sport, and he has to respect his elders. He has to respect the umpires. Like you, you know, allowed, and, and the umpires are doing the best. But the, the umpires also, at times, are at fault because the umpires do not like to be disliked by the top players. So the top players, I think, uh, get favoured treatment from some of the umpires, and, and I, I just believe that that's been going on for years. That was going on when we played as well. So I don't think that's anything that's news except people are going to say it's not right, it's not right because they're doing... But Well, you know, you can argue about that back and forth until the cows come out. Interesting. Okay, so you reckon that the big players, they somehow have their kind of clout with the, with the umpires in a way, even if it's not an explicit thing, even if they're not speaking to Fergus Murphy and saying kind of, oh, like, I don't know, trying to intimidate. That, but there is an element of that kind of silently almost. Well, the umpires and the players have their favourite umpires. Mm. They all have their favourite umpires. And we had the same thing going back 50 years. You had your favourite umpires that you trusted and you thought they were good. Why? Because they, you thought they were going to be fair with you. And that's what the players are looking for, particularly the top players that you know, if you have a look at, at Nadal, who I think breaks the rules all the time with his time violations, he doesn't get picked up. You know, I did the television for 40 years, and over that over the years when uh, Rafa was playing, I've seen him get um, called into action a couple of times and given a warning four or five times. I've never seen him. I've seen him lose a first serve, but I've never seen him given a point penalty, and we time him in the booth. And he's he's out of he's out of time a lot. Of, so we did that a couple of years ago and got some uh, some nasty letters from Spain saying that uh, all the Australian commentators were racists. <laughs> what would uh, Hopman have? Well, I don't know how would have Tomic and Kyrgios have dealt 
with they wouldn't have Hop, played. They, Hopman. They, they wouldn't have played outright. Those no, two. no, well, now, yeah, Tommy's not playing now anyway because uh, yeah. Leighton Hewitt won't have him. Neither is Kyrgios. Mm. Both Kyrgios and, and, uh, and Tommy are off the Davis Cup team. Why? Yeah. Because they're a disruption to the team. And you reckon Hopman Hol- think... would have dealt with it the same as Hewitt? He'd have been oh, well, no he, well, he, a different, different era and a different time. Mm. It wouldn't have got to that. You know, in those days when we played, and I hate going back to say those days because everybody says, oh, old, <laughs> you're grumpy and you're let all that. But in those days, the players were controlled by the federations. That, that's what brought about the boycotted Wimbledon with, with Pillick and the boys and boycotted Wimbledon because they uh, they were they were going to stop him from playing David's Cup. Well, that that's the same. That's basically the same thing. And uh, I, I just I just think that it's uh, it, with, along with Mr. Hopman, he, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have got to play. They wouldn't have got the first base. And now you know I think they're off the team because they are a cancer to the team. And I think that's a great move from Leighton Hewitt because they do have a bunch of good young fellows now that are coming through that are eager to play eager to represent Australia as we all were and respect the fact that we're that they're playing for the flag and they have to behave themselves. On the flip side, um, in more kind of positive news for Australian tennis, Ash Barty continues oh, yeah. to have a sensational year, doesn't she? I mean she's she's currently a set down to Maria Sicari actually in the last sixteen of Cincinnati. But Yeah, I know. She lost the first set see I'm watching yeah. seven five she seven five. Yeah, yeah. How far do you think she can go in the sport and what do you think we can expect of her? She's number two in the world still right now, isn't she? And she had that amazing yeah. run, obviously. Um, after well, if she gets to the final here, if she gets to the final here, she gets back to number one. But mm. we were very surprised, obviously, and I'm sure she was, when she won the French because she serves in volleys. She's got to one of the best volleys in the business. And to win the French... Not she's not very tall. She moves well. She moves better than most of them on the court, and for her that would have been a big surprise for her. But the weather was good, conditions were good at Paris this year, and the conditions were fast. And I think that suited her when she got to that slice backhand and got in the net, got in a net position to put volleys away. But uh, whether she can do that over a long period of time, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work because I don't care who you are. I, I'm just amazed at what uh, Djokovic did for two years, going back a few years when he won like 43 out of 45 matches or something like that. That is just absolutely incredible because to do that, you know, every every tournament director, when they've got the number one players or the top seeds, they think, well, yeah, they're coming to Cincinnati or they're coming here, they're going to win the tournament and they, they actually expect them to win the tournament. Well, I don't think it's physically possible to do that. I think, you know, and, and Federer's starting to feel that as he gets a little bit older. He's got to pick and choose the ones. And you, you're judged over, the, over all your career. You're judged on the Grand Slams and Davis Cup. Or in the women's case, Grand Slam and Fed Cup. And, and that's where it's at. So you try and peak for those major tournaments. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't anticipate a... I don't know, well, how many, how many slams do you think she could win? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. But it's not going to be a kind of a case of, I don't know, the dominance we've seen from the likes of Serena and Venus. Do you not think? No. So she's, she's so young still as well, though, isn't she? She's got so much ahead of her. 
Well, also, also the players, as it gets down, the, that always happens with the young players. You can have a look at Osaka when she came through. You can have a look at Ostapenko when they came through. And, they, you know, they, they, and they're still playing great tennis. But the experienced players that have been out there for a while now get used to their game and read something into their game and can figure out a way to get to them. And that's what I think what's happened to them. Because Osaka, well, maybe she'll come through and win again this week. But uh, since the Australian Open, she's unfortunately, uh, you feel sorry for her because it's just lack of confidence. And uh, once... Once you lose the confidence and it goes, it's very tough to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of confidence, I want to take you back to 1966, of course, because you won the US Open men's singles. It was known as the US, US Nationals, wasn't it then? Yeah. Um, and of course, it was a very different tournament as well, wasn't it? It was played at Forest Hills and on grass. But I just wanted you to talk to us about your memories of that championship and then that final against your fellow countryman, of course, John Newcomb. Somebody like me, I, I don't really know about much about the, t- the tennis in the 60s and stuff, so just please, yeah, like, tell no, us about you're that. A bit, you're a bit too young. You've still got <laughs> hair, too. You've still got hair, and you've got hair. No, but in those days, they only seeded eight players. And when you tell people that today, they say, well, how can you only seed eight players? It was still a 128 draw, but you only seeded eight players, which made the early rounds very good. But obviously, there was no prize money. So there was nothing there to protect. You weren't protecting anybody's livelihood or you weren't getting them, you know, so that... But the number one player could play the number nine player in the world, first round. And and that, that was the way it came out. Because they still drew the numbers out of the hat, as they still do. But there was only eight seeds. So I was unseeded. And I at that stage, I'd been in three Wimbledon finals. and uh, But I lost to Bob Hewitt that year at Wimbledon in the second round. So the selectors in New York decided that I wasn't uh, good enough to seed. But, I, but I'd just come off winning the German championships, which was then, after the four Grand Slams, the German and the Italian championships were the most important tournaments on the calendar. And so I'd just come off that, and then I was in uh, Boston with Roy, and we were playing the U.S. national doubles, Emerson and myself, and, uh, um, you know, then... We won that, and then the seedings come out. I was not seeded. I was not happy about it. But um, as the draw turned out, they seeded, I think, the last four seeds were Americans. And I think as they went through, I think I beat uh, three of those four Americans on the way through to the final. And the semifinals, I played against Roy, who was my nemesis, and uh, he beat me in five Grand Slam finals. I was in eighth Grand Slam singles finals and only won two, so I was a gagger. But that particular time, uh, I played Roy and played a blinder in the semifinals and then played Nuke, who I had a pretty good record against on, on grass. And, uh, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, I didn't win the big ones. I didn't win Wimbledon. And uh, so unless you're a Wimbledon champion in Australia, it's... Uh, it's a non-entity. Three times runner-up at Wimbledon is not good enough. So uh, you've got to do that. So it was a great thrill for me to beat uh, John in, uh, at, the, at the US Championships. And uh, But he doesn't remember it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's like memory, eh? Well, I mean, it was an incredible era for Australian tennis, though, wasn't it? You guys completely ruled the roost, didn't you? With... Well, you know, the guys in those days, that when we travelled, 
you um, you were so far away. Australia was so far away, so you had to rely on your mates, and they were team members. We didn't have any coaches, and we didn't have travelling people and managers and all that sort of stuff travelling with us. It was the amateur days, and so you had to rely on your mates if you weren't playing that well to go out and fix your serve up or fix your forehand up, and everybody did that. Like when I played Roy at Wimbledon in the two finals, I played to him in 64, 65. We practiced together, and we actually flattered together in 64, but we practiced together uh, down on the back court on court 14 and 15 before we went out and played the final. Wow. Wow. So you're not going to see that happen today. <laughs> I'd love to see it. <laughs> I would love yeah. to see it. Nick Kyrgios practicing with his opponent before the match starts. Uh, um, for people like me, you have never had the pleasure of watching you play then, Fred. What is the, what's the stall style? What is, what's your style? Well, the Stolly style was a pretty good backhand return of serve, and I had a good serve, but I had a very inconsistent, well, it wasn't a, well, I didn't have any margin for error on my serve. So I had a big first serve, and there wasn't a lot of difference in the first and second delivery, so that meant I served a lot of double faults. And I served double faults when I got nervous, and that was uh, that was part of the thing. And I, I really, when you look back on your career, I didn't have that, real killer instinct that I think that the really top players do have. Somebody like a Labor or in our case, you know, we, we idolised Frank Sedgman from the day we started playing and those guys that had the killer instinct to go out there and get the job done. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just really didn't have that last little bit. Do you think your style could do a job on the tour today? Well, it's a different sport. You know, you can't, every guy says, you know, who do you think is the greatest player ever? You can't answer that because it's different surfaces and different uh, different rackets, different equipment, different balls, different strings. The big difference now is strings. Mm-hmm. You know, people say rackets, it's, it's the strings more so than the rackets. And, of course, now, with the Wimbledon being the only one on grass, like, people don't remember or they forget the fact that when Rod won two Grand Slams, three of the four were played on grass. Yeah. Australians, Australians excelled on grass because yeah. it was a, low, a, a lower bounce and we were all termed as low ball hitters. And because you know, the ball stays a little bit low on the grass, now though, they have the different uh, types of grass that they can mix together and now they're, they're trying to get the basic bounce or not the bounce but basic pace of the courts on all the four grand slams pretty much the same and and they've pretty much achieved that the ball i think bounces a little bit higher on the clay than it does on the grass and it may be a fraction slower but but they do they have you know there was a bit of a, obviously you're over there but there was discussions this year as to the length of the grass and uh, mm. obviously the uh they swear by the, that that's not true or the compression in the balls but the players seem to be a, a pretty good judges of that yeah maybe suits somebody like Djokovic doesn't it the fact that all the courts kind of becoming fairly similar and maybe favoring that baseline defensive counterpunch style I don't know maybe but I mean I dare say there's something of the old style in the way Kyrgios plays a little bit with the slicing and the flattening of the ball oh, yeah, out, no, right? He's got, a lot of, he's got a lot of flair and, he, mm. and he's, he's very innovative with a lot of stuff that he tries. But, you know, also the thing we're talking about, the balls in those days when 
we played, we, we used either a Dunlop or Slazenger or a Spalding in Australia. We used a Wilson in the US. Um, and then when we got to Italy, we used a Pirelli. When we got to London, you used a Slazenger or a Dunlop. When you went to Sweden, you used a Treetorn. So we, there was about six different tennis balls we used in the course of a of, a, of our tour. So now the now everybody wants the same ball all around. Well, the Babylon ball that they have in uh, in in Paris obviously suits one guy and one big guy, and it's because he uses their rackets and they designed the ball and mm-hmm. it's a great ball. And but but uh, the Raphael Nadal can't hit that thing out. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. It is a good point. Um, so let's move on. Some predictions then for for this year's U.S. Open. We're obviously, only a week and a bit away now. Um, I saw a tweet on Twitter actually that somebody said the last time Roger Federer failed to make the last eight in Cincinnati was in two thousand and eight, and he won the U.S. Open a few weeks later. Of course, what do you think of the Swiss's chances this year? Well, I, I'm a big Roger Federer fan. I'll be going to the Labor Cup. I went to Chicago with the Labor Cup this last year and uh, best event I've ever been to, best run event I've ever been to and uh, some pretty relaxed tennis because there's no points at stake and it's just I see some great tennis. But uh, no, I'd like to see Roger win. I don't think he can. I think that uh, my pick for Wimbledon was Djokovic. I'd have been very happy if Roger had won the final. Uh, we happened to be uh, in the Royal Box and watched the uh, Nadal uh, Federer semi-final. Wow! I think that was the best tennis of the entire two weeks. I think there was more drama in the final, and it got to the, be the the super tiebreaker the first time at twelve all in the fifth, mm-hmm. which was exciting. But the tennis wasn't quite as good as the Nadal uh, Federer semi-final. So I, I think that. Um, Rafa on the hard courts when he gets through, it's a bit tough for him week in and week out now on, on the hard courts. He's always had problems. So I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Djokovic fan. I, I feel uh, that he, he played as number three in the world for about four years. And then that fan base, every tennis fan in the world, then fell in love with either Federer or Nadal. And uh, Djokovic was just the third wheel. And when he started to beat them, well, what do the fans say? Oh, he's beating my boy. He, he can't do that. He's beating my... I love Federer. I love, I love Nadal. But now they've got a kid that's five years younger that's come through. It's the same same with us when we came through. Newcomb came through. He's five or six years younger than myself. And, uh, about, and, 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 you know, he's about eight years younger than Roy, so you get to the point where that happens and you have to accept it because you know those guys are breathing right down your neck. So it just depends on uh, on uh, Djokovic, I think, and his physical abilities. But he's one of the best movers out there and I think right now the best player in the, in the sport. Yeah, you feel like it is in Djokovic's hands, isn't it, really? Yeah. If he plays well, nobody can stop him, right? Yeah, really. yeah exactly, yeah. But as far as the women are concerned, well... You know, there's been uh, been up and down all over the place mm. as far as the girls are concerned. There's a lot of talent out there at the moment, a lot of young talent coming through at the moment, so whether they can break through. But again, you get to where we talk about Ostapenko and Osaka and then uh, uh, Coco at Wimbledon, and the, the publicity she got at Wimbledon was unbelievable, and I don't think it's going to do her any good. I think she's going to be a great player. 
statement when you can have headlines that take over two pages of a major newspaper in England and says, I can change the world with my racket for a 15-year-old. I think that, uh, for me, is, uh, is a little bit stretching a point, and I don't think that does the kid any good mentally. Yeah, I know you imagine... Well, I can't. I can't really imagine what the hysteria is going to be like in New York, right? I mean, that was, oh, yeah. that was London. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be huge, isn't it? When she plays. Um, do you think well, Barty? It's the same with, uh, same with Barty in Australia. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. uh, the, the fact that she's come through, and and uh, you know, and and people knew she was good, but she got out of the sport because she wasn't happy, and she got out, and then and then suddenly she's playing interstate cricket, and that mm. that's uh, you know representative cricket. And then decided that hey, you know, I like the tennis, and uh, once she'd come back, she's uh, well. How much she? Uh, I don't begrudge the money either, but she's come back and made well, got ten million bucks in the last twelve months or so. Hmm. Not so bad. Hmm. A little bit better than cricket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. What do you think of her chances in the US? Do you think if she can keep it together? I, think the, I don't think the hard courts. I think grass courts are her best hmm. surface. I think the hard courts, uh, hard courts are tough to play on. We all found hard courts a little more difficult to play on because, but again, it's the you know the grips have changed. We found it difficult because of the grips we had, and you were a low ball hitter on the grass, and then when you got to play that hard course, the ball got up a little bit too high, and you couldn't really do what you really wanted to do with it, and so all those things have got to come into consideration. And I just I don't think it's her best service, but. She's got to be one of the top contenders. Yeah. Just to go back to the men's quickly, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you, actually, because for me, one of the most intriguing figures of the last two months of the North America swing has been Daniel Medvedev. And people are now saying he's the kind of the fourth favourite for this US Open. Would you agree? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. You know, all those kids now, they're, they're, they're strong. Mm. They've got big serves and they've got big forehands and they're athletic. They move well for big guys. They move well for big guys. Unfortunately, though, my other thing with all that is that I think at the moment the big serve has too much influence in the, in the game. And I say that because I, 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 had, I had a serve and that controlled my destiny as well. But now you've got those guys that, uh, you know, John Isner and, uh, you know, we, we watched that semi-final, John Isner and uh, Kevin Anderson two years ago. And we were, you were there till midnight. Well, it was about five good returns of serve made in, in four sets. So <laughs> I think the big serve is, uh, is just coming through. And I know that we want to go and say, oh, that's all sour grapes, but you can go back and have a look at it. It's, uh, it, it so there's, the big serve, I think, is dominating. And so all those guys now, the six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot ten, they're all getting taller and taller and all hitting just big bombs. Kyrgios can fit into that too because that's uh, basically, as he, he says, well, I only practice my serve, you know, over five minutes because I know it's good. And he serves, he serves more aces than anybody else. And he's just got a beautiful motion on the serve. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, effortless. Can I be cheeky? Can you give me a men's champion and a women's champion for the US Open? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> no. Oh, well, Djokovic, I think, is going to win the men. Okay. But, but the women's, uh, you know, is all, all up near. Everything there is on, uh, obviously, on Serena's racket, but I don't think Serena's played enough tennis to get back out there and uh, do well at the Open. And, and so uh, 
and 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 Sarah Pover doesn't look as though she's going to do any good on the way back, and uh, and the younger kids are coming through, but uh, you've got the young uh, what's the Sonia from down here that that that's a good match um, match up. It's two of the young players playing against one another today, I think, and then the young Canadian girl, yeah, Andreescu, yeah, Andreescu, boy, is she confident, mm. and uh, it, you know that. The kids today don't lack in confidence, and uh, and that's a good thing. But uh, you know, they've got to put scores on the board, and uh, and the girls are well. There's there's a mixture of about five or six of them there. Svitolina's got a shot. They're all uh, and then you Puskova again with a big serve there. Um, so it's 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 a toss up with the girls. There's four or five of them. That's how we like it. That's good. So, yeah, Sounds yeah, good. So that, has, that hasn't answered your question. No, no, no. <laughs> no true, true. But it is, it's the difficult, it's the nature of the beast right now, isn't it? It is yeah. incredibly tight. Um, so finally, what do the next few months bring for you then, Fred? And for your son, Sandon, of course, who was uh, a very, very good doubles player himself, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he got in the, in the top 50 in the world in singles and he got injured, he blew oh. his arm out. I wasn't happy when he decided to play doubles only, but uh, that's a choice of a lot of players today. And, uh, you know, you talk about men's doubles, you, uh, they sort of play together for six months and then split up and play together for another, another different guys and there's different teams winning tournaments and unfortunately nobody knows them. And so they're not getting the crowds to, to watch them. And yeah. obviously, being a doubles player, you you like that. But uh, no, I'm very proud of Sand. And we're the only father and son ever in the sport that uh, have won a Grand Slam. Sand and won the US doubles with Cyril Sook, and I won a few of them when way back when. So we're, we're, I think there's about four or five father and sons that have played Davis Cup for their respective countries. But we're the only father and son that's played uh, or that have won a Grand Slam ever in the sport. So uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Sandon doesn't give a damn about it at the moment. But he will. Uh, he will when it becomes a trivia question. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, but he's looking after the kids now. He's doing a good job. He's uh, in South Australia now. Where he moved mm-hmm. back. He's got three lovely daughters with Margot, his wife, and. Uh, He's 15 minutes from work, and he's he's working with the uh, the better kids from um, the 12 to 18 in in South Australia, and he's got a couple that are doing pretty good. So he's he's working hard, and I'm proud of his efforts. Fantastic. Well, you're you're based in Florida, aren't you, at the moment, Fred? Um, I mean, yes, I've been here for uh, 43 years. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. Uh, uh, that's a bit longer than you've been than where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right there. Uh, so we're, uh, I'd go home to Australia tomorrow. I'm, a, I'm still Australian more than most Australians. I think mm-hmm. Australian through and through, and uh, uh, the green and gold. Mm-hmm. Representing your country's always been better than doing individual things for yourself. Well, I hope the worst of luck for you in the ashes, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, come on, your palms are all the same. <laughs> this year at Wimbledon, you go upstairs in the members, which I'm very privileged to be a member, and you go up there and they don't say, hello, Fred, how are you going? Oh, how'd the cricket go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it only happens once every five years that I've got to do it anyway, so it's all right. Yeah, we've all got to go through it. We've all got to go through it, haven't we? I know, right? Well, anyway, all good, all good fun. it's been a pleasure, Fred. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope we can yeah. have you on again sometime soon because we're hoping to 
to make this a regular a regular thing. Yeah, this well, podcast. Carl Rogers is a very good friend, and uh, yeah. I've known him for years and years and years. And so we have a nice, friendly relationship. And so uh, I'd love to see what he's doing uh, come to fruition and be successful. And I know you're a young fella, and you're going to be part of it. That's good. Yeah, I'm hoping to be. I'm hoping to be. Thank you for anyway. Thank you so much okay, for your time. Safe yeah. travels back to Australia. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot to Fred for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed our pretty wide-ranging discussion. Make sure to head over to Grand Slam Tennis Online for all your tennis news and opinion. We're going to be all over the US Open, and there's plenty to get your teeth stuck into. Thank you for listening, and as the wait continues for the next big thing in men's tennis, thanks most of all to the Supremes, the soundscape to the end of Fred Stoller's wait in 1966, and a valuable lesson in patience today. Goodbye. Goodbye.